You're listening to the Money, Markets, and Mindset Podcast, where it's all about learning how to have your money work hard for you instead of you working hard for it. And now your host, stock market coach and options trader, Jason Brown. Well, so listen, welcome to the Money, Markets, and Mindset podcast. We're actually doing a live edition, so you might be watching this on Facebook, you might be watching this on YouTube, LinkedIn, uh, wherever you're tuning in at, welcome. I'm Jason Brown, stock market coach and options trader at thebrownreport.com. I'm here with my man, Reggie Perriman, a good friend of mine, both here in Detroit, Michigan. Not only is he a good friend, but he knows his stuff in real estate, uh, does commercial, does residential. Reggie actually ran his own real estate practice, had his own team, had his own brokerage. You can share some of that. He knows his things when it comes to, to real estate, and I know my stuff when it comes to the stock market. And so, you know, we were just talking, you know, over text, I think, or you, right. you, you hit me up, and we were just like, dude, why don't we do like a collaboration, come together, chat with people about like the stock market, real estate, talk about how they actually complement each other, talk about the pros and cons of each, talk Mm -hmm. about what's different about um, each one and just, I guess really give my people, if they're making money in the stock market, maybe another alternative to do some other investing or maybe your people who are investing in real estate, show them how that could cross over into the stock market. And if nothing else, just educate you (laughs) on how all this stuff works. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Give us a little bit about, you know, who is Reggie Perriman? How'd you get into real estate and, and why do you love the game and how'd you come to own your own brokers to where you're at now? So yeah, pretty much um, my grandmother was an investor and she used to always say, you know, get into real estate and I okay. never would do it. I wanted to be in music and... and um, See, I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, yep. And she she passed when I was 19. She had a couple um, rental properties left. And um, so I, I had the rental properties. I ended up going into real estate after that. And I learned a, a whole lot of work at uh, Century 21 for 10 years and started my own brokerage and ran that for 12 years and then just um, in the past three years went over to Keller Williams. So from the residential standpoint, as a sales agent, you learn a lot. You learn a lot about people. But what I realized, too, dealing with investors taught me a lot about money. And as an agent, being commission-based only, you have to learn about money. So right. you have to start making your money work for you. Grandma introduced you to it, which mm-hmm. I think, you know, and so, and, and, you know, I always say sad to hear she passed, but also right. that's a, a, a portion oh, yeah. of life. So we hope right. she's in, the, in a better place. But right. uh, that just made me think about something. There's a lot of people who don't have, uh, like their parents don't, re- if your parents weren't involved with the stock market or real oh, estate, yeah. Like some people don't get a chance to get that opportunity to be exposed to it. You right. know what I'm saying? Right. And so sometimes I feel for people who, or at least I say, I say I challenge people who have children to go after their dreams because if you go after your dreams, you give them permission to go after theirs and you don't know what you would expose them to like your grandmother exposed right. you to. Because I think about the stock market, like I didn't really know anybody investing and thank good God or goodness that are uh, both. <laughs> thank them both. Uh, thank God and goodness. Thank goodness God right. that uh, <laughs> that didn't stop me from like going after learning this industry. But I think how much further along would I be 
had I been exposed to it earlier, right. had I had potentially a mentor right. um, or somebody I could look up to that looked like me or was in my bloodline, and I said, well, I saw somebody that had some success, so I know it's possible, yeah. you know? Yeah, so for me, it was it was weird because if you notice, she left the properties to me and not my mother and my uncles. They didn't want any parts of real estate at that time, right? So. I always believe, I always tell them, I said, man, I wish y'all would have gotten to it because that would have actually gave me a head start. It was left to me by default. So I just kind of figured it out on my own. It was no, um, you know, when my grandmother was alive, I wasn't like watching her or I paid attention, but I really wasn't getting into it. I was in high school, you know, mm -hmm. I was trying to have fun. So if someone else would have maybe stepped in and said, okay, this is how to do it. So I didn't learn it until I actually got into it. Right. So that was the difference pretty much. Kind of so, like a trial and error. Like I'm here now, exactly. I just got to figure this out. Because I had to, you know. And it's, um, it, it's important that, you know, like you said, if we live it, then we can pass it on to our kids and it's leaving a legacy. Right. You know? And that's how it was with the stock market. When I made my first $100,000. Right. I probably made every mistake in the book after that, right? Not paying taxes. Tax oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I bought a big car, right? right? Put it on 20-inch rims, right? Yeah, I mean, I did everything. Yeah, yeah. A young inner city, <laughs> African-American or black, whatever you want. Right. You know, I did everything that you probably shouldn't do. Right. Uh, or like a rapper would do or something Man, once you I, finally get some money. Jay-Z had me wanting a Range Rover so bad. And <laughs> I used to tell myself, if I can pay for it cash, I'll buy a Range Rover. And I brought a Range Rover. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, two years later, I was like. like what am I doing? <laughs> what am right. I doing, right? But it was, it was a nice car, great. It just as a realtor, it wasn't a good car for a realtor. I'm talking about the amount of miles we drive and things like that. Yeah, but you, you know, you make those mistakes. <laughs> you do. If somebody before me said, no, nah, you don't get that car, it's your main car, get it as a secondary car. And then, you know, I would have had some type of mentorship. And maybe get so, it after yeah, you invest yep. and build up your, your, your equity a little bit. Yeah, I remember buying and flipping houses. I made like, um, me and my partner, within six months, we had made like 140000 right? And I was used to just commission sales and mm -hmm. paying quarterly and things like that. But I had never experienced making that amount of money in a short period of time. And I was young. I was like uh, 28, I think I was at the time. And I remember going to my accountant and he was like, I think I owe like twenty four, twenty five thousand 25000 or something like that. And I was like... I don't have any, I don't have none of that money. I remember that too. Yeah, I had so, the you same know, conversation. The payment plans with the IRS and all, man. So they had to force me into a payment plan after they put a tax lien on me. But that was oh, the no. old me. Like now we good. Yeah, I pay see, quarterly now. My account was like make a payment plan. Like as soon as he seen the look on my face when he presented the bill and he well when he presented the amount and he was like oh yeah make a payment plan. And that's how I learned a little bit more about taxes. Before, it was just like, you know, I remember my first three or four years in real estate, I would just go to like H&R Block and have them do my taxes. Yeah. Then when I actually went to a professional accountant, a CPA, I was like, man, I was overpaying too much, you know, based on what I was making at the time. So that's something important too, you know, people get in a business or any business and they just don't have all the knowledge. Yeah. So let's talk about the game of real estate, investing. So 
What, what's your fascination with real estate? And then, mm -hmm. like, why should people be interested in using that as an investment vehicle? Well, it's a, it's a good way to make money. So, like, I, you know, I've, I've had rental properties and everything, but actually, I prefer to be the bank. You know, so in other words, um, so I'll do seller financing, in other words. So that's where I may buy a home, say, you know, 50 or 60,000 instead of fixing it up and flipping it on a market for 120 or whatever the figures are. I may finance it for the buyer. So in other words, the buyer is paying me a down payment and monthly payments. So if I do it via land contract, in Michigan, the highest um, interest rate you can charge is 11%. Now, what's a so, land contract for those who was not in the real estate? Like, okay. all right, what's a land contract? So a land contract is simply an agreement between buyer and seller. And it's basically the buyer's paying a down payment, just like a mortgage, and paying a monthly payment until the balance is paid off. And there's other terms. You put a clause in there based on their late payments, when they forfeit their rights to the property. Also, um, who's going to be responsible for taxes and insurance? Okay. So, so let, let me break it down for the, for, for the viewers and for myself. Right. So people, when they think about real estate, we, are, we already know you can fix it and flip it. That's just right. general, buy something, put a little bit of work into it, sell it for, improve it slightly or whatever, sell it for a little bit more than what you pay for. Right. But there's another side where, as you say, you can be the bank Right. And so, you know, instead of that person going to the bank saying, here's my credit score, here's mm -hmm. my W-2s, here's my tax returns, can you approve me bank? He's saying, hey, skip the bank, come to right. me, come to Bank Perryman, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's seller financing. You don't have to worry about appraisal. It's whatever you and the buyer agree to. So here's the thing. The buyer has to have some knowledge of the market, right? For it to be fair for everybody. Right, that's the what I was getting The seller has at. to be, have some knowledge of the market. So let's say the market in the area is 200,000, right? The seller may say, well, if I only want 200,000, I might as well put it on the market, get all my cash out up front, or I'm willing to hold the paper and just get payments over a period of time with interest. Because that's what you're in it for, for interest, right? Um, there's other benefits to that as far as capital gains taxes because you're not taking a lump sum all at Up once. Front, yeah. Too. So that's where you get a little bit, you get a little clever with um, being an investor in real estate. Yes. For the buyer, they don't have to have A1 credit. It's whatever the seller is comfortable with. So for a buyer, they may, you may have a buyer that doesn't um, conform with regular financing. So if they're self-employed, but they make a lot of money, but they're writing everything off and that type of thing. They may not qualify for as much if they go the traditional route yeah. to a lender. So I think the key for people here is you can become the bank. And mm -hmm. I, I think I want, I want to make sure I underline that. You can become the bank, and we're not really taught that at home. You right. know what I'm saying? Right. And, and this isn't a black, white. It's more so like in the impoverished areas or the middle class areas. Mm -hmm. You're not taught that, hey, you can become the bank. Right. You're taught go out, get a mortgage, Mm -hmm. And then when you really do the math on a mortgage for 30 years, everybody excited to pay for a house for 30 years, you typically end up, when you look <laughs> at the math, you pay double for the house. Right. So if you bought a $200,000 house, you're paying $400,000 for it over the length of 30 years. Right. And so if I'm a bank, that makes sense, right? I'm going to give you this house. You're going to pay for me in over 30 years. Right. I'm going to get double the price. Now I'm thinking, how many more of these can I go out and get? Exactly. Which is why the bank 
does so many mortgages, but right. you can be that person. Now, so, so here's the here's the twist, though, or right. not the twist. Here's the here's the intricate plot, to, in my opinion. Right. You can only do that if you have money mm-hmm. and you have your finances right. Right. The average person can't wait thirty years <laughs> to get their, their money, money back. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because right. they live in check to check. Yeah. <laughs> so they, you first need to take care of home mm-hmm. and make sure you put yourself in a position where you're basically lending out money for 30 years right. and you're getting a small piece of it back every 30 days. But when right. you m- compound it and multiply it out, you're getting double back. But most people they can't, can't even afford to do well, that. This is what my grandmother used to do. When I look back at some of the paperwork, and I actually done it. You know, in Detroit, when the market crashed, we had a lot of homes that were five and 10,000. I would buy those homes. We would have people, say that someone has $10,000, right? And the home is 10,000, but they don't have enough money left over to fix it up. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll buy homes for 10,000. And when people say, well, I have 10,000, I'll say, give me two or 3,000 down, but the house is 18,000. Right. And I'll make minimum payments, 200 a month for two or three years with 11 percent interest so they can use the balance of their money to do the major repairs that are needed to the property. And these are people that were buying them for investment or to occupy at the time. It was something just to give them a start. So you don't have to be the bank on a two hundred thousand dollar home. You can do it on a smaller home as well. Right. And then. I mean, the other thing well, most is... Most people can't even be the bank on the smaller. On the, <laughs> well, on that's the a different, that's a different <laughs> right. subject. But so. here's the thing. We're not here to tell you whether you can or can't, but right. we're here to tell you what's possible, right? You right. got to get your finances together yeah. to be yep. in a position to be the bank. But yep. I like that. I like that. See, yep. I can get with that. I don't know if I want to own a property, but I could get with the finance yeah. and like, okay, yep. I'm the bank, right? And and the house is really just collateral. Like right. I'm coming to take my collateral back if you stop paying, mm-hmm. and then I can start the process over with a right. new person, or I could just turn around and sell, sell it, it all together and be done with. It, as long as they didn't tear it up, etc. And you just really explain why a lot of people are attracted to real estate versus the stock market in some cases because I really can't understand how people can go out and constantly get a mortgage and look at, like you said, to find the amortization chart and see how much they're gonna pay back and not question how can I be on the other side of that, right? Mm. So that's where you get the seller financing options to come in. But also in addition to that, when we talked about the real estate piece is if I invest that money in the stock market, then what are your risks if the stock goes down or whatever happens? Um, Well, in this case, if they don't pay you, you said it, you get the house back and you resell it. Now, you have to pay some legal fees to evict the person and foreclose, but I mean, you still have the collateral back. And as the market shift, you're paying attention like, okay, their balance is 150. Is the market going to support that 150 or did the values appreciate? Hopefully, they're smart enough to sell it to pay you off, right? So those are the options. So I think that's why people are attracted to real estate. Since we went there, let's let's go there. So when I when I look at that, right? So I'm like, okay, right, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. But I, I see if I had like a flow chart, I would draw mm-hmm. all the steps. I'm like, okay, I'm taking let's just say two hundred thousand, mm-hmm. maybe a hundred thousand. It doesn't matter what the numbers. Let's say a hundred thousand. Right. I buy this house. Mm-hmm. Now. 
I have to go find a person mm -hmm. who actually likes this house in this neighborhood, in this school district, mm -hmm. and then I have to find someone who, for whatever reason, can't get approved by the bank, but mm -hmm. also is not too much risk for me to take them on as a private client, basically. Right. So see, 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 I'm adding up all them X factors. Wait, for here's, me, I start thinking like, that's too well, much here's the already. Risk. Here's how you eliminate some of the risk, right? Remember when the, the market just crashed in real estate, right? And it was like, it's foreclosures, foreclosures, foreclosures. But what you didn't see, you didn't see the auto industry saying, oh, we had to repossess, repossess. Re That's because, um, for one, you usually have to put a nice down payment when you buy a car, unless you got excellent credit, right? Mm -hmm. And the end is pretty close. So if you got a five-year term and you're three years in, you're like, I'm not giving up this car, right? So... With seller financing, the way you eliminate some of the risks is you get a larger down payment. Okay. Right? So, so that kind of cuts down on some of the risks. And usually, if you're, if you're investing right, you're going to buy in an area that's desirable enough to find those buyers. And see, this is where, when it comes to real estate, I start to think, okay, but <laughs> how do I find someone who has enough money to give me a bigger down payment, yet they don't have the credit to go get a, a approval from a bigger bank. Mm -hmm. I bet that's a smaller pool than normal because you're finding somebody that's niche. They happen to have a lot of money, oh, yet they don't easy. have good credit. Well, it's well, not just they, credit. It's just, you got to keep in mind, most lenders qualify you based on income to debt ratios, right? And if you're, uh, if you're a business owner, right, you're writing off everything possible. Now, there are some banks that say, well, we'll just look at your bank statement, how much you have coming in, how much you have going out. But they still want a higher down payment anyway, right? Then it's still subject to appraisal and approval. But there's a, plenty of people that work, that own businesses. They're writing off XYZ on their taxes, right? But, and they have the money. Just on paper, it doesn't show to meet the bank's guidelines for what they qualify all for. Right. So you think right. they're keeping more than, I mean, they're writing off all this stuff. They, but. they can afford $1,500 a month. Okay, right? that's fair. But based on the bank's qualification, the bank may say, okay, based on what we see on paper and your tax returns, you only qualify to pay $700 a month, right? You can look at it as an individual business owner yourself and say, Man, this guy can afford, he's paying $1,500 a month for rent. Right. In most okay. cases, that's what's happening, that's right? Yeah. So, and that's how you assess it from that standpoint. That's still niche, though. So yeah, it's still <laughs> he niche. He's trying to find, like, but that, they say the riches are in the niches, right? Yep. <laughs> so, yep. <laughs> when I look at the stock market, right, I, right. I, I look at that same 100000 and when I think about the investors who are like, well, I don't understand the stock market, or I'm nervous to mm -hmm. put money in. So, here's how I see it. You just said I can go buy this house for 100000 Then I got to go find this niche individual, mm -hmm. have them put down a down payment, collect my money. Hopefully they pay for the next X amount of time. Mm -hmm. The same thought process that goes into that, I say, oh, let me go buy Apple stock. Let me go buy Facebook stock because right. I'm looking for a good company. Mm -hmm. This company has real estate employees and a business model that's mm -hmm. bringing in money. Right. So the same way you're looking at this guy and saying, well, he paying $1,500 in rent already. You right. know, he's just writing this stuff as a business owner. I'm looking at the Netflixes, the Apples, mm -hmm. the Googles, the Amazons, the Teslas. Those are just to name a few. And I'm right. saying, oh, 
you know, people aren't going to stop using Facebook anytime soon. Exactly. They have employees. They have a great business model. Right. They're, people are spending money on advertising. So I'm looking at their balance sheet and their business the same way you're looking at this person's rental income and his tax returns. You're looking at their assets yeah. and everything. I'm right. looking their at the financial same thing. stability. Right. Yeah. Right. So now I'm saying instead of me finding it on that side, I'm coming over here to the stock market and I'm applying that same principle, just finding good companies to right. do business with. Now, just like you're like, well, you hope that guy doesn't get laid off. You hope he doesn't get fired. Mm-hmm. You hope he doesn't, you know, bankrupt his company. Right. I'm over here looking at the same thing, right? Yep. I'm, yep. I, I, I hope Facebook doesn't get caught up in any <laughs> corruption or scandals. Right, right. I hope they don't bankrupt the company, yep. right? And so he has an invested interest because he wants to keep his family in that house. Right. Well, Zuckerberg and them have a vested interest because they want to stay billionaires. Yep. They want to uh, <laughs> keep their employees happy. So right. it's really the, a, a very, very similar uh, game, right? Except for the part where I feel like <laughs> the part I where I feel like coming. when the default starts to happen, I push a button and I'm like, "Give me my money back." I right. Don't, I don't like how this looking, smelling, sounding. Right. I click hit a button. I pull my money back out. Over here, that's where we get into the taking them to court, evicting them, hoping they didn't tear up the house. Yeah. But I will, right. I will. I will say this. It's not all rose-colored glasses over here. We also got to make sure they hit earnings uh, every quarter. So every three months when they report earnings, if they miss, that could rock the stock. The data issue with Facebook. Right. So that rocked the stock a little bit. So you also over here don't know some, have, some days, what you could wake up to, that's a disaster yeah. that could put your money you at risk. You uh, have outside influencers that may tweet and then change the, <laughs> change the public's perception, right? Right. So, so here's why that real estate scenario is attractive to most real estate investors, because this person coming in the door, say the house is $200,000, they are going to give me twenty or 40000 down. So I got back a large sum of my capital back up front. I'm just waiting for the balance to be paid off. So that's why a lot of real estate investors prefer the deal in the real estate territories. Okay. Yeah, it depends. Okay. But yeah, I, I understand. I mean, I invest in stocks too. And I think big picture too, when you buy a house, you hope the house appra- uh, you know, appreciates in value. Right. Same thing. When you buy a stock, you hope that they're doing better business next year than they were the year before. Mm-hmm. So you hope it appreciates. So there's so many similarities that I also, I, I love it because it's similar, <laughs> but then also it's like, Sometimes I'm a little boozy about it because yeah, I yeah. think I'm just so used to hitting the button on the computer. And it's like, ah, I don't have to talk to anybody. Right. I don't have to go down to City Hall. I don't got to list it on the MLS. Yeah. I, do none of that. <laughs> I, just, I just go open a brokerage account and do my thing. But right. you know, there's a ton of millionaires, billionaires from real estate, so I'm mm-hmm. not, not knocking or dissing the industry right. at all. It's just a matter of how are you using your money to make money and how can you use it as a crossover? Because what I'm hearing is, I can take the money I'm making in the stock market, Mm -hmm. and since I don't need it every day, I can also roll it over onto that side and start to be the bank right? and start to get doubled. So I already got the return from the stock market. I can kind Mm -hmm. of bring it over there and then also get another double up on my return over 30 years or whatever the period is if I was playing that game being being the bank. Right. So just to give you an idea, like when a real estate market crash, there was some, you know, issues with the stock market as well, right? So a lot of our investors were coming from out west at the time, 
And we, we would ask these people, like, you know, where are you getting all your money from? They just say, I pulled all my money out the stock market because I can't get this type of return at this time in the stock market. And what I realized, I was like, wait a minute, all these guys are in the stock market and they're in real estate. So it's something that I'm missing out on because at the time I was just all real estate. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm like, wait a minute, they're just putting money back and forth. Where can it get the best return? So, for example, one guy pull out $40,000 and buy a little cheap house, but he'll rent it for $800 a month. And he's like, if I put 40 in, in the stock market, I can't get $800 a month plus the appreciation on the property at this time. But later, he eventually sold that property, went and put money back in the stock, back market. Into the stock market. So they were playing where the money made the most sense. Yeah. You know, Wherever where they, they can get the, get the best return. return. Right. And that's why it's important to know both sides of it. Yeah. And see, I think about that sometimes when the real estate market crashed here in Detroit. I was like, I should probably buy some houses, you know? I, I didn't because just, it just wasn't my thing. Right. But I was like, I should. I probably should, you know? But the point is, I, I like that. Those guys were like, okay, let's move the money over right. here. And that's when you just become a steward of money, right? Mm -hmm. You're moving it wherever money is treated best. Right. I think Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank says that, like, money goes where money's treated best, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I like that mentality that you're not married to either system. You're just married to your money working for you no matter where it's at. Right. You know right. what I'm saying? And most people, and, and this is the sad part, most people are used to working for their money. They're right. not even thinking about where their money could work best for them at because they don't have money working for them at all. They're so busy working and putting in the hours for their money. And right. that's you know, why we want to sit down because you got to get on the other side where Instead of you chasing money, your money's chasing you. Mm -hmm. You got this stuff just coming in, as Drake would say, lump sums and residual, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You yeah. want it coming in in a big pile, and then you want it coming in monthly. Right. And that's like the holy grail. Let's talk about options, right? Because, <laughs> you know, I'm an options trader. I'm a big options yeah. trader. Uh, in my long-term accounts, I buy stocks and ETFs, but... For the most part, I'm a trader, so I'm trading options. Mm -hmm. And I, I know some of the people who've seen some of my options videos, I get crazy returns. Right. Um, for example, I just did a put option trade where um, if the stock goes down, I make more money. Right. And so I just did a put option trade on the stock. I took 100000 mm -hmm. and I literally just closed this out, I think, two days ago right. uh, at the time of this recording. Okay. 100000 I think it took me 10 days. Stock fell. I made twenty thousand dollars. So I put up a hundred thousand. I closed it out with one hundred and twenty thousand. So twenty thousand profit, and that was right. from the stock falling, actually so, going down. So from from my real estate investors, can you explain how that process works and why you can make that type of money off of it? So sure. So. It, big picture, stocks usually fall faster than they rise. Okay. Right? So a stock may take three months to move five dollars. Okay. But it could fall five dollars in one day right. on bad news. Right. Does that make sense? Or two days. Fall two fifty, two fifty. It falls way faster than it moves higher. So right. in the stock market, the way that option trading works is let's just say you got this bottle of water. So let me hold that for right. a second here. It's off camera, but let's just say you got this bottle of water. I'm covering up the name because they ain't pay us for a pay, <laughs> paid placement. No, I'm joking. Uh, but you got this bottle of water and Let's just say I'm holding this water, you're thirsty, right. and before this interview is over, let's just say you may or may not get thirsty, right? And so 
if this is the last bottle of water, and we, we both agree that it's worth $10. I know that's super inflated. Let's just say we both agree it's worth $10, right? right? And so I'll say, hey, Reggie, I'll sell this water to you, you know, between now and the next 30 days, right? right? It's the last one in the area. There's no more water, hypothetically speaking. But I'll sell it to you for $10 between now and 30 days from now. Right. And for me holding this water for you and not selling it to anybody else, I'm going to say I want to I want to charge you a $2 premium. Mm-hmm. Right. So you give me $2. Right. And you have the right to buy the water from me for $10 between now and 30 days. Right. Does that make sense? Yep. So you basically just bought time. You said, hey, for $2, I need you to hold that bottle of water for the next 30 days. And right. if I buy it, I'm going to buy it at uh, $10. So that's that's what an option is now. Right. A put option is where I say, Reggie, I'll give you two dollars. Mm-hmm. I'll give right. you two dollars, and you agree that I can make you buy this from me. So I can put this to you. Right. You're saying I already know so you. You're so. Let me let me break this down too, because people think, well, why would Reggie take? Why would you make that bet or that deal? Right. You may be thinking, listen. In the next 30 days, of surely a new inventory of water is going to come in. Right. Now they're going to have water again. And now what was once $10 is going to be on sale for $4.99. Right. So you're like, in the next 30 days, shh, I would take that deal because I'm going to pay you $2. Right. And you're thinking, I will never have to buy that for $10 between now and the next 30 days because new water will come in and that's going to go and sell at Kroger, Myers, whatever grocery store. Right. Right. But what may happen is, let's just say a tsunami happens. <laughs> right. They find out all the water has lead in it. I don't right. know, whatever the issue is. Right. right. So now what happens is, okay, let's say, well, okay, I'm, not, I'm messing it up it. because... I explained it a different way. So, like, right. you took the $2, and I could force you to buy it at 10 10 right. You believe that no water is coming in. So let me reverse that. Okay. You think no water is coming in, uh, so you want to, you're like, okay, I'll get paid $2, and if you had to buy it, right. you would pay 10 for it, but you're like, I'm going to need the water for myself, whatever the case right. may be, right? Okay. So I want to reverse that uh, scenario. Okay. So... Or let's say no tsunami hits, water's good, it does come in, and what you thought was gonna happen was we weren't gonna get water and the price would stay the same or go higher. Right. So now that the price of this water falls to four ninety nine, right, I can come to you and say, Hey, you have to buy this from at me at ten dollars. Oh, right. All right. 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 So you took the two dollars hoping you would never have to buy this at ten. Right. Right. You thought it would stay the same or go higher because you're like, I've been watching the news. No water's getting in here no time soon. Right. So basically, you're paying somebody else for them to take the risk. Basically. And if it goes down, then you get paid because you're selling it at the agreed price. Exactly. But I think right. the key, I want, I guess where I got a little tripped up because it's hard explaining it in water terms. But right. the key is you don't believe that you'll that the price of this is going to go down. Right. So you're like, I'm, I'm comfortable gonna, at 10 regardless. Yeah, you're right. like, I'm okay. willing to buy it at 10 regardless. And you're like, I get to pay two, get paid $2 for something that'll never happen. Right, right. Whereas once this price drops, right, because new water came in, now this is $4.99. Right. I can now force you to buy it from me at 10. Right. Right. So here's what will happen. If you have to buy this from me at 10 and it's only worth 
five dollars now, right. there's a five dollar spread in there. Right. Does that make sense? Yep. So if right. I paid you two dollars and there's a five dollar spread, right. there's three dollars of profit. profit. Right. So that's how put options work. Right. So I can come force you to buy this from 10, even though it's only worth five. Right. Right. And that's how put options work. And so we don't confuse anybody. Here's the deal. I got this water from the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. So I never paid $10 for it either yet. I have an agreement that I would buy one water and replace it. Right. Doesn't matter what the price is. I'll buy one water. Right. I'm hoping this water falls because then I'll go buy it at $5 and force you to buy it from me at 10. 10. Right. So I wanted to be clear on that because some okay. people might say, well, what did I buy? The, how much did I pay for the water? Right. I never bought the water. I actually have it on credit. <laughs> so right. I'm just saying, hey, give me one water. Right. I'll replace your water in 30 days. Then right. I come to you and say, hey, would you agree to buy this from me from $10 because there's no water coming in anytime right. soon? So basically, you're paying me to be the end buyer. Yes. Okay, for real estate people, keep that in mind because I'm going to go over that yeah. with you too. And so if the price goes up, I would never call you out on that put option. Okay. So if this goes up to $15, I would never sell it to you at 10 I would just lose my $2 because I'd rather sell, sell this at 15. for 15 Right, because you you're going to make the profit that way. Exactly. So either way, you're... I would, either make the profit. Profit, I would either make the profit or I would just let my $2 go to zero. Right. So you're either making a profit because of the market or you're making a profit because of the commitment from, right. Exactly. Okay, but you took a risk because you, we, you asked for the water up front and exactly. you're, you're kind of on the hook for So that. I still have to replace that right. water at some point. point. Right. Exactly. Right. All right, so you took the risk, but you went out and you found an end buyer that you could sell it to, or if the market increases, you can make profit that way. Sort of, so, so let me explain okay. it this way too. Um, if the price of water goes up to $15, right. what I would do is give them their water back, right. and then I would just let you keep my $2. Okay. So I, I wouldn't have to buy it at 15 bucks, because right. Right. I never opened it, didn't drink out of it, so I'd be like, you know what, this is going totally opposite of what I thought. Right. All I agreed to the store was I would give you one water back. Right. So I'm going to give you the exact same one back. Right. And then for you, you get to keep that $2. Right. So I lost. I would have lost $2 in that deal. Okay. But I'm hoping the price of water falls. Go down. And I can force you to buy it at $10. Right. And then I can go buy one for $5 and give them their water back. Right. 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 So I think that is where people get confused. And that's why I have an entire course on this, because they're like, wait a minute, what? Whose water? Who owned it? What guy? Right. There's always like three parties. There's always three parties and like one object. Right. I got some real estate people that's probably like, hey, that sounds like what I'm doing. So have you ever heard the term wholesaling? Yes. Okay. Yes. So wholesaling is similar to, so basically you have a property, right? And you want to sell it for whatever reason, but you're selling it below market value. And I come in, I say, well, I'm willing to buy it at that price. Let's just say 100000 right? Property's worth, you know, 200000 once it's repaired or whatever. So let's say 150, so people can kind of okay 150. So you're buying it for 100, but once it's repaired, it'd be worth about 150. Yeah, let's just say I'm let's leave out the repairs to be simple. Okay. So I'm buying it for 100 because you're distressed. You have to sell it. I'm coming. I say I'm going to pay cash for the property, but I'm going to go under contract with you for 100,000, 
and I say, well, I'm going to close within a certain timeline, let's say 30 days, right? Mm -hmm. But in my agreement, I'll have um, an option in there that I can sell my interest to a third party. So me and you have a contract for 100000 but I have an investor that's going to come on board and he say, wow, that's a good deal. I'll buy it for 110 because I know I can sell it for 150 right? But that investor actually has the money and a wholesaler myself, I don't have the money. So I'm looking for a third party to sell it to and I'm going to make 10000 off the transaction because I'm only obligated by contract to 100000 for you. Right. I'm making the 10000 and an investor is going to go on and make the other $40,000. Exactly. So it's just paper, commitment, yeah. who's responsible, who, and who's actually going to put the money up. Right. And that investor can still possibly lose at the end because it's always risk. But the investor is counting on being able to make 150 based on what the market is saying. Exactly. Right. And we call that a call option. Right. In the so, stock market. So right? and that's where when, when I talk to people about investing or even just being that in that middle position or what, it's so many similarities that people don't really look at it that way. Because people are doing that all, all day long. You know, you're finding people that a family member or friend that want to sell their property and you can get in on it instead of just referring it out to somebody else. Exactly. Okay. And so just to really bring that concept home to people, the beauty in that is, well, in the stock market, you actually have to have some money to do that. Right. Um, but in real estate, you actually don't have to have money to do that because all you're doing is going to one person and saying, mm -hmm. hey, can I buy your house for 100000 in 30 days? Yes, sign this contract. Right. I have to come up with 100000 in 30 days. You're going to another party and saying, hey, I got this house for 100000 Well, you wouldn't tell them that. Maybe you would. You say, I got it for 100000 yeah. I'm selling it for one ten. Trust me. All you need to do is put another 10000 into it, and you can sell it for one fifty. Right. So that person is interested because they like, oh, I have one hundred and ten thousand. I also have the ten thousand for the pair. That's one hundred and twenty thousand all in. Right. I can sell it for one hundred and fifty. I make thirty thousand mm -hmm. dollars. Right. So this guy's happy because he's like, I just got to get out of this house. It's eating me alive. Exactly. I just want one hundred thousand. That's all I owe on it. I'm ready to walk away from it. You're saying because I have the deal, I can sell it to you for one hundred and ten, and still less than what you could sell it for once you put the 10000 into it and exactly. make your money back. So everybody's happy. Exactly. But I think what I want people to understand is me, if, as the middleman of that deal, mm -hmm. I didn't actually have to come up with any money. Any money, right. I just right. had to find someone willing to sell it, find right. someone who's willing to buy it, play the middleman, and make that spread. Right. We call that spreads in the stock market, exactly. too. There's a way of it's playing the what's called spreads it, yep. as well. It's the same thing. Now, and really what wholesalers is, and a lot of them, you know, they say, I don't want to get licensed, I don't want to get licensed. And I say, well, technically you are doing the same thing, right? Because if I find someone that says, I want to walk away with 100000 there's no law that say I can't charge a $10,000 commission as a broker. So I can do the same thing. The investor that's buying it for 110, they're happy because you found a deal that they couldn't find on their own. Because the investors are always looking for the deal. So they want wherever their money is gonna play the best at, that's what they want. So yeah. you're getting a fee for finding the best deal. Finder's fee. Exactly. However you want to look at it, right? <laughs> right. So man, this is powerful stuff.
I want you to think about what we're really saying. Like, you can have your money work for you by buying a house, fixing it up and flipping it, or you can buy some stocks and you can let somebody else, quote unquote, fix it up. You can trust in Facebook's leadership team. You can trust in LinkedIn's mm -hmm. leadership team, Microsoft, Google's. Trust they team can fix up a business and increase the equity to sell it. Or on the real estate side, you can hire a contractor and trust they can fix it up and that you'd be able to sell it. So yeah. similar. Then you could uh, become the bank, mm -hmm. buy the property, do private finance, and it has somebody paying you for 30 years, right? Over here on the stock market side, you could buy a stock, collect a dividend. Mm -hmm. You could do it that way. Just like collecting rent. Just like, well, no, because then I'm about to go to collecting rent. Right, but so I'm then, just saying, right. Well, no, so then you buy a house and you collect rent. Right. On the stock market, you can buy a stock and you can sell call options against it. Yeah. And that's like collecting rent. Wow, Because okay. you sell an option against it. So, for example, um, when we said you buy a stock for 100 bucks, right. you can say, hey, you can buy this from me within 30 days at 100 bucks for $2. Okay. Well, if the stock is at $100 or lower, well, you was, let's say you would do 110 because mm -hmm. you want to go higher than what you pay for it. Right. So if the stock is anything less than 110, you get to keep that $2. Right. And you get to keep the stock. So next month, you get to do it over again. Wow. So that's why we call that rental income because you sell okay. that $2 every single month. Now, mathematically, people be like, well, $2 isn't a lot. But when you're dealing with options, you're right. dealing lots of 100. So really, $2 could be $2,000 a month. Right, right. Which, yeah. in yeah. real estate, right. you might be getting anywhere between 1,200 to 2,000 a month in rent. That's good, yeah. So you can play the same game right. uh, in, in both industries, and they both got their pros it's, and cons. Yeah. And there's another part, too, when we talked about becoming a bank, you can actually, there's, we call them private lenders or hard money lenders. You can actually loan money to investors. So let's say I find a property, 100000 is worth 150, and then I, I don't have the cash, but you have the cash. And you'll say, I'll give you a short-term loan at whatever interest rate, and it'll be like six months or whatever, right? And I'll borrow the money from you to buy the property and rehab it, and once I sell it, I'll pay you off, but I'm paying you interest, interest. for those six months. So. so you become the bank to an investor, but you have so much spread in the collateral that even if you got the property back, you know you can find another investor. Right. To put in. So there's so many different ways to do it. And then in the stock market, there's something called buying on margin. Mm -hmm. So yep. if you have, right. uh, I'm, I'm going to use Apple, for example, a $200 stock. The broker will loan you 50% mm -hmm. of the value. So instead right. of you needing 200 bucks, you only need $100. Right. Right? Because right. they'll loan you half the value of that stock. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So right. instead of needing 200000 to buy it, you come with 100000 <laughs> they put up $100,000. So yep. um, it's another way where, I guess in this situation, they would become the bank. But my point is, you're taking a short-term loan like mm -hmm. the investor would. Right. And you're paying a little bit of an interest rate, right. but your goal is the stock will increase in value. You'll be able to turn around and sell it, pay them their 50% exactly. back, keep your 50% plus the profit. Yep. And that's why I brought that up. It's, this, yeah. it's basically the same concepts, right? Yeah. So same principles, same concepts and everything. One of the um, things that was funny, I was watching uh, Boiler Room. You, you watched that movie? Yeah. So, I own it. It's probably over yeah. there on the shelf. Every time I travel, I take the movie with me. And because 
um, the guys there and there, they're like in their cold calling, right? As an agent, that's one of the first things. Well, the most successful agents, we cold call, right? But I like the movie from that aspect that they got everybody in there cold calling, grinding it out, looking for clients. But if you notice in Boiler Room, which is basically about the stock market, those guys are watching Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Ross, which is a real estate movie, you know what I'm saying? So, but it's so many similarities in how the brokers and the agents make money, and there's so many similarities as to how the investors are making money. So it's, um, and anytime, like I didn't, I wasn't in the stock market at all when I started. But I think I brought a stock, and I told you I don't want to say the company's name, but <laughs> I brought that stock like at eight dollars and something a share, and now it's worth like thirty-six dollars or something. And all these, I think I spent maybe like four hundred dollars, and and my only regret was not buying enough of them. That's how right? it always is, right? Yeah. Hindsight twenty twenty. <laughs> and even back then, during that time, the real estate, because I was the reason I didn't go all in with the stocks. Because the houses were five and ten thousand, my only re- I brought a lot of them, but my only regret is not buying more. Yeah. Right. So when I looked at some of the properties, and I looked at the stock market, if I let's just say ten thousand on each, right? What would the property be worth, and what is that stock worth? And it's almost identical. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. then when you add up like dividends, all the other stuff, and rental income over that time period. It's pretty similar. It's pretty similar. You know, so, and you have risks in both, of course, but. You do. You know, and that's why I tell people, there's, it's so similar, you just have to understand it and also be comfortable with it. Yeah, that's what's up. I think, you know, as we wrap this up, you know, so many key takeaways. I think number one, you need to figure out how to have your money work for you versus you always working hard for it. I think that's like the number one concept, whether you're doing it in real estate, whether you're doing it in the stock market, I think that's the key takeaway, number one. Uh, Number two is if you're in the stock market, the, the same knowledge transfers over to real estate. And if you're in real estate, the same knowledge transfers over to stock market. So, you know, you kind of got to remove the excuse that, oh, real estate's too complicated or hard, or mm-hmm. the stock market's too complicated and hard. You're really doing the same thing, just with different asset classes. Yes. Yep. You know, you're doing it with houses, you're doing it with companies over here. Exactly. And, yep. and I think the third key takeaway is that there are multiple ways to approach this thing including even if you don't have a lot of money, whether it's a middleman in a deal or as they call it, wholesaling, right? right? Whether that is on this side, you know, you could be the banker to several people or you can get a loan from your brokerage account up to 50% of the stock. You were talking about selling costs, selling puts, making money on the stock falling or rising, uh, doing spreads in both both business. So, you know, the key takeaway is, there is no excuse. You can be getting paid in one, or if not both, of those industries, man. Right. So this oh, was yeah. this was good stuff. You know, if you if you're not subscribed to us, uh, be sure to check us out at the Money Markets and Mindset podcast on uh, iTunes as well as Stitcher on Android Radio, and then uh, they can also find us on YouTube at the Brown Report. Dot com or the or the main website, thebrownreport.com. Reggie, how can uh, viewers catch up with you, uh, whether that's Instagram, your website, or... Yeah, my uh, website is simple. It's reggieisrealestate.com, and then from there you'll have links to all my social media. 
platforms as well. There it is. Reggie is real estate. We'll make sure we put a link uh, below or in the show notes so that people can click on it, check oh, yeah. you out. And uh, man, this has been impactful. We're going to have to do this again. Oh, yeah, definitely. definitely. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's up. Thanks for listening to the Money, Markets, and Mindset podcast. We hope this episode has been educational and inspirational. To learn more about how to have your money work for you inside the stock market, visit www.thebrownreport.com. <laughs>